laughing. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another edition of Beyond the Cover. I'm your host, John Robb, with my great friend and great co-host, Jeff Ayers. Jeff, how are you doing tonight? Doing fantastic. Thanks for uh, having me back. Well, we mean having you back. You're part of the show. I wouldn't do the show without you. Oh, wait a second. I did I last time. You missed Karen Slaughter, and she wanted to kill you in her book. I know. But that's for you and her to, de- to, to decide. Um, yeah, but I will say that I... Good. If you went back and listened to uh, the interview... Uh, the question you asked was uh, for great uh, conversation, so make sure you listen to that. But huh? the only thing more thrilling than tonight's vice presidential debate, because it's riveting, is we have special guests all the way from England at 3.30 in the flipping morning. Author Matthew Dunn's here to talk about his latest book, A Soldier's Revenge. So this ought to be really interesting. Absolutely. So you ready to rock? You ready to go? Let's do it. Here we go. All right, so Matt, thank you so much for coming on. How you doing? And thanks for staying um, up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, no, I'm awake now. That's good. But thank you so much for having me on your show. So thanks for doing let's this. Jump, so let's jump into to the book here. Uh, Soldiers' Revenge comes out uh, October the 11th. So people just know if you're listening to the show uh, live now, or if you listen to it before October the 11th, the book will be out uh, then. You can get your copy however you want to get it. Uh, I always say go to Amazon and get it whatever format you want it in. It will be available. So let's just jump right in and let us know what you got going on here in the next uh, Will Cochran story. Yeah, so um, uh, Will Cochran, who's um, a former, now former um, uh, intelligence officer, Western intelligence officer, firstly with the Brits and subsequently um, for the CIA, um, he's now freelance. Um, he's pretty much given up that life and decides to um, adopt um, twin boys, 10-year-olds, um, of one of his former colleagues, an uh, ex-U.S. Uh, Navy SEAL, um, who's now dead. Um, he travels to um, the States, uh, to New York, um, to adopt the kids, and um, is staying overnight in New York's Waldorf Astoria Hotel, um, uh, the next day to go and do all the legal paperwork. Um, but he wakes up, um, blood on his hands, no idea how the blood has got there, and um, stumbles into the bathroom, feeling all groggy, and discovers a dead body in the bathtub, um, a dead woman. Uh, he knows instantly he's been framed for murder, uh, goes on the run, um, and then tries to understand exactly what's happening to him and who indeed is um, doing this to him. And it becomes a downward spiral of um, further and further sort of escalation of um, bad things happening to him. Um, So he's really put into a corner in this book. Um, It's probably the hardest challenge um, he's ever faced. Well, um, having read the book, and I absolutely loved it. I'm a big fan of your books. Will Cochran is is terrific, and I feel like you should give him a break once in a while. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> no breaks, no breaks is, in books. Is is Will Cochran sort of um, based on people you know from your previous life before you became a writer, or is he more based on you and your experiences? Um, he's largely based on me, um, but obviously I, I, you know, I'm a creative, so I draw on um, experiences that have happened not just to me, um, but also to my peers when I was in um, MI6, the equivalent to CIA. Um, so, um, you know, it's, it's a patchwork, but certainly emotional content, um, how he thinks, um, you know, what he will do when he's in a situation, and when I write. Um, you know, very often, and I will do this very deliberately, um, I will write a scene thinking, how on earth is he going to get out of this situation? You know, it's, and I do that very deliberately. 
Um, so that emotional content and that, and that mindset is very much driven around um, who I am. Now, you got to give us a little bit of background into exactly what you mean by who you are with Will Cochran, just because a lot of people, of course, you only hear some of the stories, but I don't think they really understand what it takes to kind of do the kind of work and, and the kind of role and things that you've done with your life. So you, can you give us a little bit about that background about who you are? Yeah, so um, I, I was a frontline operative with MI6. MI6 um, is um, exactly comparable to um, the CIA. Um, what that meant was that I would have to go out overseas to hostile territories, um, what typically hostile countries, um, and um, spy on those countries. Uh, and I'd have to use a variety of different tradecrafts to do that. Um, so um, in terms of um, what I did, that directly impinges on the contents of my books. Um, it was a, a very isolated existence. I, I did it for years, um, traveling for the majority of, of the, the, those years. Um, I, I rarely had any backup, rarely any support, um, certainly no safety net. Um, I didn't operate under um, diplomatic cover. So what that meant was that if I got caught in some of the countries, I can't name which countries I operated in, um, but if I got caught in those countries, then at best, probably, I would have got um, uh, life imprisonment. At worst, I'd have got executed. Um, so um, MI6, similar to CIA, MI6 recruits people who can operate completely independently, completely off the radar, um, and the, you know, the stakes could not have been higher. And I've put all of that experience into my books. Now, obviously, in terms of writing my books, I'm also a storyteller. Uh, I'm an author. So, uh, you know, I will create scenes, I will create um, stories. But certainly the, the, the background, the experience that I went through, um, that comes through very much in terms of my writing. That is well, freaking with, awesome. <laughs> someone with your background, though, um, is there a concern with either you revealing too much in your novels or your safety. Well, in in terms of in terms of the novels, um, all, all of my novels have to be vetted by MI6, um, and, and you know, the, I mean, we're on very good terms. So, yeah, they will say if there's anything that I've accidentally put in there, they think it's a bit too contentious. Um, they'll just tell me, could you delete this or whatever. But um, you know, for, for the most part. Um, everything I put in there is is fine, and also I have the added advantage, of course, of writing fiction. So um, yeah, it, it's it's harder, therefore, for the reader to discern the difference between what you know what could have possibly happened and what is coming out of Matthew Dunn's imagination. Um, and so that's one of the great advantages. Um, <clears throat> so uh, yeah, on that level, it's fine. In terms of personal safety. Um, no, I mean it's it's fine. Uh, you know, I've been out a number of years now, so you know I, I think that's fine. I do take precautions, of course. Um, you know, I've got two children to look after. I'm a single parent, um, but um, you know, apart from that, so so far it's been all fine. Now, the one thing that that always intrigues me is you're sitting there in, in different countries, and, and you have to be somebody else all the time. But when do you get it into your mind? You're like, you know what? I want to be an author. <laughs> I want to start putting this shit on paper. How did you know? How did the kind of idea come out that this is kind of what you wanted to do? I guess after your career, after MI6 was done. It's a really interesting question, and and, and um, I mean, actually, um, it was almost the reverse of, of what you've just described because I wanted to be an author when I was a child. Um, you know, one of the courses they don't they don't do it so much at school over here in, in the UK so much now. But one of the courses that um, I loved at school was creative writing. Um, you know, essentially just creating short stories, and um, you know, I absolutely adored that. 
Um, and as a child, uh, you know, I'd scour, we don't have them so much here now either, but I'd scour second-hand bookstores um, and find sort of out-of-print um, stories about 18th century um, adventurers and this and the other. And it absolutely captivated me. And I think in large part, that experience of wonderment looking over the horizon actually led me into MI6 because MI6 um, back in the day is different now. Um, you can apply openly to the organization. But when I went through the experience, MI6 um, officially didn't exist. Uh, and the only way to get in really was to be headhunted um, um, by talent spotters who were typically um, located in uh, universities around the country. Um, so you couldn't apply openly. Um, but I sort of had that dream of doing something completely different uh, and traveling the world, seeing the world, but doing it covertly. For some reason, that really attracted me. Uh, and I remember having a, a discussion with one of my professors who turned out to be a talent spotter for MI6. And I said to him, I want to do some kind of foreign service. Now, he obviously saw something in me, and that was my route into MI6. But actually, I think you know, the, within me, the driver was actually that imagination that all, all authors have, um, that, sort of, uh, that, that sort of aura of storytelling, wonderment, seeing the world in a slightly different way. So it was almost full circle when I came out. Um, I spent a few years subsequently in, in business, but came out and thought, I want to go back to that sort of mindset of, you know, of writing the world as I see it. So I see it, you know, in a sort of 360, full circle type of way that the, that the two um, experiences are completely entwined. Well, how did you go from writing to actually getting published? Was your first book the one that actually got published, or was it your eighth, or how did all that work out? Well, probably like most authors, um, if I said to you, I just sat down and wrote a book and it got published, um, it would be a complete lie. Um, you know, it was, it was, <laughs> it was, set, I, 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 what, what happened was I came back from overseas from business. Um, I decided, and this was in my um, um, early 40s, and I thought, you know, I've always dreamt of writing a book. Um, I had the time to do it, and I thought, well, now's as good a time as any. There are no more excuses not to write your novel. Um, of course, the process therein is never that straightforward. It took several drafts, um, uh, several attempts to get a, an agent, and then with my agent, um, more redrafts, um, more redrafts when I got publisher interest. So there was a lot of hard graft in getting that first, um, first book down. Um, I would say probably it took about a year, year and a half to get that done. Um, and also, of course, you know, as, as all authors are when we start, um, we're complete amateurs. You know, we don't know what we're doing. And that has an advantage, and that is ignorance is bliss. You just go in there and write it. Uh, of course, the, the, the downside is you don't understand how much work it takes um, to get that first book published. Um, but, you know, I was determined to do it, um, and uh, thankfully um, got the deal with HarperCollins. Um, and um, so I'm now writing my seventh book, um, And um, it, but it still seems like yesterday that it was all um, all done and dusted. Um, so, um, yeah, I'm, and I'm still learning my craft. Um, I, I think, you know, the day that authors think they know how to do it, um, that's the day when they start going um, downhill. So I, I always take the view that um, um, as an author, every book I'm still learning. Now, when you when you decided that you were going to kind of craft this book out, and of course you already have, like you said, you know, nine books out, and you were sitting here thinking about it, and you were starting to put things down. 
Was there something that you were going for? Are fans of your previous books and your read, when they kind of get into A Soldier's Revenge and they read it, are they going to see a different side of Matthew Dunn? Was there something you were maybe trying to emphasize a little more if it was scene setting or dialogue, character development, things like that? Was there something a little bit different that you consciously decided to try to do with this book? Yes, I mean, for certain. Um, I, I'm moving to Will Cochran, um, my, my main character, um, is ex-intelligence. Now, I, I've taken him um, largely out of that world um, and moving him more into, I was going to say a mainstream thriller, but that, that wouldn't be typically fair. Um, I, I'm putting him into a darker jeopardy um, in terms of his world. Um, the, the key thing I'm trying to emphasize um, <clears throat> is how tough it is for ex-spies um, to operate in the uh, outside of the secret world. So, you know, there's been a fair amount written about ex-special forces and how they struggle um, in the outside world. Um, but nothing has been done for ex-spies. Um, so it's really trying to um, emphasize how difficult that is because the difference between ex-SF and spies is that spies, um, they're a completely different breed of animal. Um, uh, you know, I always felt when I was a spy that you're never off duty. I mean, even back in, you know, when I came home back to London, um, you're still a spy. And, of course, being in London, um, that's where spies operate as well. So there was no sort of coming back from a uh, sort of battlefront because the battlefront was everywhere around you. <clears throat> and it's trying to... Um, so in my book, A Soldier's Revenge, um, I'm emphasising um, how difficult it is for a spy once he's put into a serious situation, and ultimately once he's been abandoned um, by his former employers. And uh, then further extrapolate, what does the spy do if he's put into an absolutely horrendous situation? And what he does, of course, is he draws on all of his skills. Interesting. Yeah. Um, one, one thing that, um, here in the U.S. especially, if you watch a cop show or even a spy show, it's all about action, action, action. And then you talk to a real office, a police officer, and they say, I've never fired my gun in my entire career. So I'm kind of curious, um, how much do you have to make up in terms of action for the sake of the story, or is was your life action? Um, it's a combination. Um, I, I was um, so in, in. I had two components to my career uh, as an intelligence officer. One was very traditional, and, and the majority of that was um, the recruitment of, um, as we call them in the UK, agents, uh, as you call them in the states, um, assets. So foreign spies um, who we would recruit to spy on their home country, and we'd recruit them because we felt they had access to top, top secrets. So that's the, that's the bread and butter, that's the core element of espionage. Um, the second component to what I did was more the paramilitary side of things, um, which is we call in MI6 direct action, um, and that is the, the, the guns and glory side of, of espionage. Um, that, um, uh, that component was more to do with either when things have gone wrong or when there's no other choice. You've got to take severe action to get something done. Um, spies typically like to operate under the radar, um, so they don't like to go for the guns and glory side of things simply because it exposes them. Um, but sometimes that's what's got to be done. Um, in terms of my books, um, as I mentioned, I'm a storyteller, so I will dramatize you know, to the nth degree, as much as any other author will do. Um, but I will draw on my experience, and not just my experience, the experience of um, my colleagues as well. Um, I've changed the locations, obviously, um, but a lot of the stuff that's in my novels has happened, either has happened to me um, or to my friends. Um, but, you know, I've changed the landscape. 
You know, speaking of the landscape, I, I'm always intrigued when I talk with authors that are that are from England uh, or Europe uh, outside the United States for the simple fact of, you know, U.S. readers and European readers are far different in the things that they find important. So, you know, your book is set in the United States. However, people can tell that you are from England. How is that dynamic when you kind of get English fans and European fans to kind of read your books? Do you, do you get some fallback on that because it's not set maybe over in England? Um, do you even see anything? You know, how is that dynamic between the two sides of the pond when you start getting fan email? Um, yeah, it's – I mean, my biggest market is the States. Um, so, um, you know, I hold my hands up here to say that I'm, I'm writing – predominantly for a U.S. readership, although I've got fans all over the world and I'm published all over the world. Um, so um, in terms of espionage, um, it, it, it is different. If, if I'm in, in the U.K., for example, and Europe, um, the, the, the espionage genre is still very much um, embedded in the John le Carre type of slow burn um, uh, type of um, storytelling, um, and you know it's starting to change a bit, but it's still in that genre. In the states, um, it's a diff from a thriller market. It's a different type of market. It's more erring towards the Jason Bourne type of market, um, and that's good. But you know, I, I, I'm you know first and foremost now. I'm not a spy. I'm, I'm a storyteller. And, you know, the key thing is that I need to thrill my readers. And so it's all right. about trying to get the, trying to get on paper um, the concept of thrilling people who I've never met. You know, and it's, 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 yep. it's a big, big task. You know, I, I, I've often said, I think that writing a thriller of all the genres in, in, in writing is the hardest one because you've got to do what it says on the tin and thrill. You know, if you get it right, it can be one of the best stories out there. You get it wrong, the reader's going to throw the book to one side in disgust. So, you know, that's my end game is to, is to thrill. Um, I tell the stories as I see them. Um, and, you know, I think the difference between, you know, both sides of the, of the pond, that's not really foremost in my mind. It's really trying to get something out there that I think, as I'm writing it, I'm thrilled. And if I'm thrilled, then hopefully the reader will be thrilled. Awesome. When you started writing the books, did you see it as a series? And do you, now that um, you've written several books in this series, do you see it as an advantage or a disadvantage? Um, I, well, I, did I say it was a series? I, I mean, I don't. I, I didn't really know if it was going to be a series, to be honest with you, because <laughs> um, as, as all of us are, were contracted for you know uh, whatever number of books. In my case, it was the first three books, and so I didn't know what life would be like beyond those first three books. And then I was contracted again for another two, contracted again for another two, and on it goes, type thing. So you know, we're living sort of on that sort of short termism. Um, but um, my editor, um, David Highfield from, from HarperCollins, um, is absolutely brilliant, brilliant editor. And, you know, he's stuck by their character and said, no, you know, he, he's the best character. He's one of the best characters out there. Um, so keep writing him. Um, you know, and for me, it's a joy because, um, you know, I'm exploring the character. You know, with every single book, I'm, I'm learning more about him as much as the reader is. Um, so... You know, that's a brilliant odyssey as far as I'm concerned in terms of um, developing him and, and putting him in um, increasingly tougher situations. You mentioned earlier, give him a break. I'm, I'm not ready to give him a break yet at all. Um, so, you know, it's, um, you know, and I don't know why. It's just I, I'm just uh, perhaps I'm testing him um, in, in that respect. So, um, you know, so it's, it's, a, it's a great journey. Um, in terms of developing that. And, and, you know, I've got no desire to drop the character because he's extremely complex um, as a character. Um, and it, it's very interesting for me to develop him and learn more about his mind as much as it is 
to tell the stories that surround him. I, I love the character, so that's why I was saying give him a break. Just, you know, because I'd like to see him at least. <laughs> you can't feel sorry for a thriller character, man. That's what they do. <laughs> it's, it's, quite inter- it's quite interesting because I get a lot of fan mail, um, and it's almost overwhelmingly the women who contact me on Facebook or wherever all say the same thing, and they you know, all say, please, 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 can you give him some love interest? And don't kill them this time. <laughs> can, can you can, so so real quick before before we go? Can, can you give us like uh, like a funny fan email that sticks out in your head that maybe you've just received recently? Um, well, I think that's probably one of them. That's um, that even, um, even my editor um, he recently said we were talking about the, my, my latest. Um, book and, and I had to go through the synopsis with him and we were sort of thrashing out different ideas and things that he thought might work all the rest of it um, my, my editor David um, so he's yeah, he's a guy from North Carolina um, edits many famous authors um, and um, you know I'm thinking right I've got to take Will Cochran into an even darker place really put him up against the wall and he paused, we was as though we were doing a, a telephone conversation, and he paused and just sighed and said, Matthew, for God's sake, give the guy a break, okay? He just <laughs> needs a bit of a break. <laughs> and I turned around and said, uh, uh, said to David, I said, no, I'm not going to. It's not his time yet. At some point, there will be a moment where Will Cochran wakes up and thinks, I don't have to do anything today. The sun is shining. I've got the love of my life, you know, laying next to me. You know, I'm going to go and do something nice or whatever. Um, but it's not that time yet. Yeah. Well, Matthew, we want to give you kind of the last word to kind of let everybody know. Where's the best place that people can reach you and find out more about all your stuff? Okay, so I'm on Facebook. Um, I've got my own website, um, which is MatthewDunnBooks.com. Um, and uh, the book is coming out um, 11th of October, and it's in Amazon, Barnes & Noble, um, all usual retailers, um, so it's available then. In the UK, it's coming out in November, um, but um, it's mm-hmm. available everywhere. So MatthewDunnBooks.com is the best place for people to find you. Hey, Matthew, we want to thank terrific. you so much for coming on and staying up so late and joining us here on Beyond the Cover. It's a fascinating read, uh, great character, and it's great that you've put a lot of yourself, you know, into that story. Um, and, you know, we'd love to be able to uh, – too bad you can't mention some of the countries and stuff because I think that would kind of be cool. But, you know, maybe we'll have you back on. You can maybe just gloss over some of the fun stuff that you might have or, you know, dangerous things that you might have been able to do uh, working for MI6. <laughs> Yeah, no, it would be my absolute pleasure to come back on. And, uh, okay. yeah, I but we'll do it one time when it's not freaking four in the morning for you. <laughs> <laughs> As I say, the things we do for our craft, it's all fine. So that's all good. Exactly. It's my absolute, my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. So one Thank more you. question, just one more question. Go for it. Your soccer team. Who's your soccer team in the Premier League? Oh, no, you're talking to the wrong man here. I'm I'm um, I'm a rugby man by choice. So, oh, you're um, rugby. Yeah, so soccer's not my thing, to be honest. Though I, I think, unfortunately, um, it, we're divided in the UK between those who follow soccer and those who do follow rugby. Um, I, I'm in the camp that thinks soccer players are overpaid prima donnas. Um, so, yes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but talk That's to me about beautiful. rugby. Talk to me about rugby, and you'll have me on here for hours. So. No. And then, okay, and then, you know, and it just brought, so one more question just for up because the NFL just had a game out there between Indy and Jacksonville. Does London really enjoy the NFL when it comes? I mean, is there a lot of talk about it, or is it just kind of like, eh, you know, it's kind of cool, but one time a year is fine? No, we don't, it's not really covered over here, to be honest. Um, you know, we've got oh. fans, obviously, but it's it's not. It's I mean, it's very state specific. 
Um, but no, I mean we've we've got um, you know the, the big sports over here are football and, and, and rugby uh, and cricket. Because yeah, right. um, so you know the NFL has risk. talked about taking a team to London and actually yeah. having a team in London, and I was like, please don't ever do that. I don't think that forcing NFL in into England is the right thing to do. We, well, as far as I understand it, we have we do have clubs over here, um, and um, uh, the, the, the play um, uh, you know American football as we call it. Um, mm-hmm. But um, you, you know, so it, it, you know, it's a growing sport. Um, I, th- I think the problem is it suffers by comparison to rugby, which is probably yeah. the closest sport to it, and I, I think that's the problem. Um, rugby is is so embedded in our country and across Europe um, and the Southern Hemisphere as well, of course, um, that, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a difficult sport to make an entry, and I, I think that's where it's suffering a bit. And, and, and my wife cracks me up because she'll be watching football and the guys are laying on the ground, and she's like, oh, my God, in rugby they'd rub dirt on and go back out there and play. Stop acting like a wuss and play. <laughs> they they, they well, capped it at half time, and the guy would be back out on the field in rugby. There's no such thing as a broken arm. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't going to say that, but you just said it, so thank you. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> but, hey, I'm yeah. with you. We, we're we're wussies <laughs> over here. We got all these pads and helmets and stuff on, and the guy's like, I can't play. My, my, my pinky finger hurts. Yeah, in rugby, <laughs> after the first quarter, everything hurts, and you just keep going. Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah, no, it, 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 it's, it, it's a very tough sport, yeah. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, Matt, I'm sorry we keep going a little longer. I just wanted to ask a couple of those little questions. But, again, thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure, and we'd love to have you back on whenever you have the time. It's been an absolute pleasure on my side as well. Thank you so much, and I'd absolutely love to come back on. Thank you. Oh, thanks so much again, and good luck with the book. Uh, thank yeah. you. Take care, yeah. guys. All right, you too. Bye bye. So again, everybody, that is author Matthew Dunn, and his latest book is out called A Soldier's Revenge. Actually, it comes out on October the 11th. So make sure you check that out. Um, let's take a short break, Jeff, and we're going to be back. And so the question we kind of talked about before uh, Matthew came on was, and since the election and everything is going on and everything's happening here in about a month, we decided to kind of throw out the question. And we're going to talk about a little bit and see what you guys think, if you want to email or whatever, is do some authors go too far with their political views in their books and really kind of, you know, I guess, can it turn the reader off? Does it not turn the reader off? I mean, so we're going to just kind of talk about that. And in the meantime, we're going to let you listen to this. So here you go.
So welcome back, everybody, here after the break on Beyond the Cover. Uh, we want to, again, thank Matthew Dunn for joining us and having some um, fascinating conversation is, uh, about what he had going on in his latest book, Soldier's Revenge, and just outside the thing. we got to get Matthew on, though, Jeff, and talk about some of the stuff. I mean, uh, again, we kind of talked a little off the airs, but I would love to know the percentage of, you know, like you said, you've seen James Bond and you've seen some of the other guys, and, you know, what really is it? for the life of like an MI6 person? Uh, you know, is it 95% sitting there doing nothing and 5% action? Or, you know, I just would kind of like to get an idea of maybe like what that is. Well, and he can also operate in all um, time zones. And <laughs> I mean, yeah. We, he was up at 3.30 in the morning. Holy moly. I, I, that's just 3:30 amazing. 3.30 in the itself. morning. I mean, when you said he was calling in from England, it didn't ring the bell. I was like, wait a second. Um, that's really early over there in the morning. <laughs> I mean, I'm talking yeah. to Tanya French this. I'm talking to Tanya French this Saturday, this Saturday morning early for me at like 8 a.m. my time, because uh, I'm going to interview her for like 20 minutes and we're going to transcribe it and put it in the magazine. But I did it early in the morning because it's only like three o'clock for her in the afternoon. So I was like, you know, the exact opposite of you know three a.m. <laughs> three a.m. <laughs> Wow. So, but that was cool. Yeah. Okay. So, we pose the question. So, let's just pose the question. Um, and we've all read the books, you know, different ones, and we've all seen it in different styles. And I don't know, you know, I don't know, I don't read as much of the political thriller kind of genre as you are. I mean, you're a lot more well versed than I am than this. But are you seeing more and more authors putting their political views? And within their characters, within the books, and make it almost so blatantly obvious that – do you think it turns off readers? Do you think that it can kind of hurt them um, because it's so blatantly obvious and it's not like a good balance of stuff in the book? Uh, what do you think? I mean, like I said, you know, you probably have done a lot more than I have. So what do you think? I would say that the best ones in this genre do not – give you any hint of political affiliation, which is great because then regardless of whatever side of the fence you're on, when it comes to politics, you can enjoy the book. When you are blatant in terms of one side or another, you have the potential to turn off half of the audience that's picking up that book. And And, and even if you you only do it once... You're still going to turn them off. They're not going to want to pick up another one, right? Right, because once you oh, this guy's clearly a Democrat, and I'm a Republican, and oh, he's right. slamming Republicans, and I got you. Or vice versa. Yeah, I, right. I'm not going to want to read another book by that author. And some authors will say, oh, well, I'm not political at all. Well, no, I would disagree. <laughs> when I read your books, I clearly have an idea of what party you affiliate with. And that's okay. Yeah, I don't need to know who you're going to vote for. You've already pretty much said it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, there, There's a couple books in particular that um, have come out that um, we were talking about earlier. And one of them was by an author I really like usually, and this time he really went political to the point where even Can you say if jump I, Stark? Well, partly. I think they went so blatantly anti one of the parties that I was offended, and I felt like regardless of whatever party you were, you would be offended by this book. And that shouldn't be any part of the wow. equation when you're reading a political thriller. Right. I mean, it's still a work of fiction, and, you know, make it a work of fiction. Don't make it a work of – if you want to make it a work of, I guess, nonfiction or a thing, then put it in that context. Then write that type of book. Say, you know what, I'm Joe Blow so-and-so that has sold, you know, 50 million books, but now I'm going to give you my – of what I view of my views. But leave it out of your story. I don't think that you should put it in your fiction book. I think if you're going to put it in, so then then just write your views and say, here's my views. Write a blog on your views. Do whatever you want to do on your views. But leave it out of the books. Mm-hmm. Don't put it in the books. You know, I don't need to hear about, 
you know, I love Republicans or I love Democrats or whatever it is. And, and kind of, you know, I think that this country is divided enough that I think if you get away and you read a fiction book, I think you want to get away and read a fiction book. You don't want to read what this guy's thinking in his head about who he should vote for for presidency and almost trying to slam the other party so bad as making them like Nazis in a way. You know what I mean? Um, just putting them way over on that side. I read novels to escape, and especially right. this year with the um, political shenanigans on both sides, it makes me want to throw up. Um, if I'm picking yeah. up a political thriller, I want to escape and not think about, you know, this election's coming up here shortly. And if you're going to make me think about that, then it just makes me all the more frustrated. Yeah, I mean, this political cycle has been, uh, without a doubt, the. I mean, I, I mean, I'm, only, I'm I mean, I'm 46 years old. So my my first really knowing anything was 76. I was only six years old, but I remember my mother talking about how much she liked Jimmy Carter, um, and she was like, "I really like Jimmy Carter. He's really a nice guy," and this and that. So that's kind of the first name that I remember hearing as far as politically and then I was in fifth grade and we actually you know did our little mock voting for president and it was Reagan and Carter and I remember John Anderson was the independent so but I never remember such blatant uh I guess you know just just such blatant hate that I have right now I mean you know you talk about the other side basically saying well what they're going to do is wrong or what they're going to do is wrong I get that okay that was Barack and McCain and Barack and Romney. You know, they didn't go after each other basically as hateful people. But this this one is filled with nothing but hate, and it's drummed up all this hate. And you kind of see it, and I'm wondering if some of that stuff is filtering through our, through these authors and into these fiction books of maybe this is their escape way to – let out what they really want to say or this and that because you know you read twitter and facebook and you see what some of the authors say some of it is like you know that takes a lot of balls to say that because you're going to alienate a lot of fans that read you because you're saying something about this candidate or this candidate or whatever and it's just killing you i mean it's because you're just going to let the crazies loose and you never want the crazies to wake up on a facebook or twitter post that you've done David Morell told me once about the publishing business that if you want to be involved in the publishing business, you have to partly be insane because it's nothing sure. but, you know, hours and hours of isolation followed by frustration and rejection and all these things that most people want to avoid. I would say it's the same for politicians. I don't understand the philosophy at all why you would want to be involved in something that essentially half the people will dislike you immensely yeah, and the other right half when you walk in. will like you. Yes. Yeah, I, I don't understand that philosophy at all. And you know the other thing that I heard um, just the other day, which really took I, – I kind of knew it already, but I guess just to physically hear it and hear the percentage really, really, really – makes me wonder why you would ever want to and I'll tell you what I'm not gonna lie I thought about it I thought about saying you know what whether or when or not I thought about saying I just want to run for state assembly of California just because I just want to try to bring some common sense and I just want to kind of throw some common things sense things out there instead of just going so far crazy I just wanted to be common sense and then I sat there and I'm like, why would I want to do that? That is just the dumbest thing I could ever think of. And so I got smart. My wife hit me in the head. She got me smart too. She's a lot smarter than I am. And then I hear that 60% of your time, 60% of your time as a politician is not even in the state assembly or in Congress. It's sitting in a fucking room making phone calls trying to get money all you're doing they literally put you in a room with cubicles where you have to sit there for four to six hours making nothing but calls on trying to raise money 
And I'm like, no wonder if we're so screwed up in this country. 60% of the time isn't even dealing with the problems. It's just trying to shake the freaking money tree of these people to get money out of them. I was like, wow, that, was, that, that kind of blew me away, got to admit. I was kind of blown away from that. I don't know if you knew that stat or not, but I heard that the other well, day. Well, I, I know that um, just looking at this election that all the candidates declared almost two years ago. And I know it's been two freaking years, hasn't it? Yeah, it, it, so when I'm elected president, first thing I'm <laughs> going to do is declare – that uh, they cannot actually declare a candidacy until January 1st of the election year. <laughs> and so then... <laughs> yeah, then because, you know, year. I mean, you know, quite frankly, I mean, we both live in seriously blue states. You're in Washington, I'm in California. Um, right. And the thing is, is that what I can't wait for is I just can't wait for it to be over. I honestly, at this point... I can't wait for it to be over. I'm so tired of the talk and the hate and the venom that gets spilled out so much that I cannot wait for it to be over. It's so bad. Yeah, it it feels it, like it's been going on forever. And instead yep. of a bad book where I can just shut the cover and move on to the next one, I can't. I can't get away from it. It's on everywhere. Everywhere you go, you hear about it. No matter what you're doing, no matter what, you, no matter where you are, you hear it, you see it, people talking about it, this and that, and you, and it's like everywhere, and it's like, my lord, just shut the hell up already. We get enough of it, <laughs> you know. I don't want to go into a forum trying to talk about fiction books or this and that, and hear your damn political views on Trump and Clinton. I really don't care. Let's talk about some books. Let's 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 do what books and movies and music and entertainment are supposed to do. Get us out of the world that we live in, you know, 24 hours a day, and just for a couple, three, four hours, whatever it is, to just take us out of that world because we already know it's going to be there when we're done. But it's nice to be able to step away and watch a movie or read a book and not think about all the other crap that's happening. So I really don't need to see it on my on Facebook, Twitter. I don't even get on social media anymore. I get on Twitter and talk about our guests and whatnot. I don't read tweets, and I don't read Facebook posts, because I really don't care what the hell you're eating, and I don't care about your political views. And that's all I seem to see. So I just said I'm out. I'm done with it. I don't want to see it anymore. Um, but that's me. Well, uh, this ties in kind of to what we've been talking about. Um, one thing I do like about this time of year is the new shows that are premiere. And I'm always oh, yeah, kind of curious. Shows. What's, next, what's the next show I'm going to start watching? And it's I got to tell you, there's a show I like. This de- debuted this fall, and it deals with politics. It's called Designated Survivor. You know, Shannon's watching that one. Yeah, Jack Bauer. It's Shannon. Yeah. Shannon Janet's watching Designated Survivor. And she gives it a thumbs up. She thinks she she really likes it. I think it's terrific. The, yeah. They have a show that's got several great mysteries going on while you're dealing with a guy who is thrust into a world that he's got to learn how to function in quickly. Because not only is it something for his family, but it's also for the entire world. And it's fascinating. Yeah. Well, the yeah, thing that and, I thought, and, the th- go ahead. I was just going to say it's very compelling, and yeah, I absolutely highly recommend it. Yeah, the the premise that I thought was fascinating was, and you just said it was, he has to be in a world that he's not familiar with, but far along than that, he's now in a world that nobody's familiar with, because he has to revamp the entire Congress and the cabinet and everything. And he's like the only one left that has to now be the phoenix rising from the ashes and rebuild and have all this stuff. Because there's nothing written in the Constitution that says, oh, if all of Congress gets blown up, this is what you do. I mean, there's nothing like that written down. So he basically has to now set precedence in something that is going on um, now. And and you're a wartime president because whoever did this, you're now going to go to war with. So now That's right. you are this designated cabinet member 
sitting there, and now you're a wartime president with no fucking Congress to declare war. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, what, so one of the things they did thing. in the last... I mean, when you think about it... Yeah, they, they did mention political parties in the last episode, but as somebody said, you know, what difference does that make now? Yeah, and what difference does it make now? Yeah, it, it was but a big you know, reset. That was kind of interesting. I don't, I don't want people to die. I mean, I don't want people no. to die, but I really kind of agree with that premise. Let's just kill all of the political parties, and then let's just start over. Because it's ridiculous, you know. I I always hear people talk about the Republicans, and they sit there and they go, "Oh, you know, this is the the party that Lincoln built." And I go, "Yeah, but Lincoln's wife couldn't even vote for him for president, so at that <laughs> time, you know, I mean, she couldn't even go and vote for him for president. So it's like, you know, I, 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 and and I've always liked to be the inclusive person instead of the exclusive person. So I always wanted to include everybody into it instead of. Try, instead of excluding people out of things. So that's what I've always done. I mean, I'm not a political person in that realm. I'm just more of a, I, you know, I'm like, I'm a humanist. I think that everybody should kind of, you know, we're all, we're all the same. We're no different. I always, you know, I've mentioned this hundred times, you know, we're all human. You know, the only thing that makes us different is one male is one female. That's it. That's the only really difference is a gender. Everything else, we're all exactly the same. We're, we're basically, because we all get diseases, we all die. We're all, we're all born, we all die, we all live. We all do the exact same thing. But we kind of like to differentiate ourselves from those things. And it's kind of like, yeah, you, you, you're just doing it, I think, to just do it. And it just doesn't really, I didn't really get to that. I don't really understand that. So, yeah. But Shannon loves that, the designated survivor. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of the wrong person to talk about new TV shows, so I would let you do it. Because if it wasn't for live sports, I probably wouldn't even have cable. <laughs> <laughs> I got you, dude. I still watch Murder She Wrote and freaking Columbo reruns. I love them. I mean, I'm still <laughs> stuck back there. You know, if I could find the Jeffersons, I mean, I was watching All in the Family the other day, cracking up, going, "How the hell did this ever make it on TV in the '70s?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I fully get you. Yeah, I, I just, I guess, and, and we've talked about this before too. Is I always talk about TV shows are. Okay, when you ask me a question and then you answer the question, what's left for the show? But if you take too long to answer the question, and I'll say Blacklist. Blacklist was a show that I started watching, and I thought it was great. You know, had the freak of the week, had all these funny little things. You had no idea who the guy was to the girl. Why did he pick the girl? Why did he, what was the relationship? So that was the question. That was the whole question of what was going on with this show. So as soon as you answered that question, what was the show left to do? Well, it went off into this weird freaking tangent, and I was like, done, see ya, I'm out. And I didn't even hang around to hear the damn answer. I just read it on Wikipedia because I was just tired of it. I'm like, look, I've invested like 27 hours of my life into this thing, and you've answered nothing. You just kept bringing up all these other different questions that you not have to go out and re-answer. So I kind of got bored with it, and I said, I'm out. And that's, so I don't, you know, like Blind Spot and some of these other shows, you're asking this question, once you've answered it, what's left? What do you got? And that's where I lose it. Yeah, and Blind that's why Spot I think Law and is... Order is a great show. Because Law and Order was about that case, that time, at that place. Yeah. You could jump in any time you wanted. Season 6, season 7, season 8, whatever episodes you wanted, and bam, there it was. That case, that time, at that particular one, on that hour, had nothing to do with what was in before or what was after. It was just that one. And it was enthralling. It was fabulous. And what's funny is, wow, that show lasted 20-some freaking years. Now these shows last, well, what, and, four or five? Well, Law & Order SVU is still on, and I think it's their 18th year now. You can't call it Law & Order SVU. You have to call it the Mariska Hargitay show. Because okay. now that's cause she's, about, <laughs> she's about the only one left. <laughs> I think Ice T still there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and and but yeah, you and know, but they even they'll got win. into a lot of the they got into a lot of the other character outside of the thing. I mean, you know, was and Criminal Intent did the same thing. Um, you know, when Vincent D'Onofrio's mother was going when she was dying and he started becoming crazy, and that was a storyline. It was like, okay, you don't need these underlying storylines. The cases themselves are enough to drive the story. Um, you know, I thought Jeff Goldblum. Well, was Law and Order did that the last couple of years too. 
They did, and then that's when it died. As soon as they gave um, the girl on there, I forget, the lieutenant, they gave her cancer, and then they started doing all this underlining stuff. It was like, okay, you've now killed the show. You've killed it. And you've made McCoy too political. You've made him the DA. You should have never done that. You should have left him where he was. You should have just had another DA come in because he was fabulous in that assistant DA's role. He was great watching him in the courtroom. He was great watching him with his other you know, DA person. The cops were always good. I thought the two cops, Jeremy Zizzo and the other guy, I thought those were guys were pretty good together, even though Jerry Orbach and Benjamin Brad I think were my two favorite. But Benjamin, but Jerry Orbach and Orbach. Martin were very close second. Yeah, Who? he can't beat Orbach. It was sad what happened to him. Yeah, well, I mean, Orbach was the best. It's just a matter of, I feel, it's just a matter of, I was sitting there thinking, like, okay, Orbach with Benjamin Bratt, Christopher Noth, and Jesse Martin, those were his main three. Those were his only three, I believe. And then you had Jesse Martin with Dennis Ferreira. Dennis was a really good guy after Jerry Orbach. I thought he did a great job. I love that guy. He just screamed fucking cop. Yeah. Yeah, That's I thought true. he was wonderful. Um, and and I thought that the DAs were good. I thought that, um, oh, God, what's her name? She was married to Jason Seahorn of the, oh, I can't. She's, oh, uh, yeah, she Rizzoli was on Isles. Isles. Yeah. Yeah, it's Angie Harmon. I thought Angie she Harman was really was... good. I thought she was really good. Um, yeah, I thought the lieutenant, of course, the lieutenant SVU was the original lieutenant. Uh, he was the original lieutenant in Law and Order. Uh, he just flipped over to SVU, um, but yeah, I thought they did. I thought that was just a fabulous show. I thought it was wonderful. I thought it was great. But as soon as they started getting into more of the human stuff of the cops, it was like, oh, you know, you, you killed me. You know, Murder She Wrote was like one of that too. Columbo was like that too. It was just that case, that time, that day. Boom, you picked it up, and there you go. You didn't have to worry about. Oh God, what did I miss? What did I miss? Well, you didn't miss anything because you just missed him catch the last killer. Now he's into a new killer. It's like, oh, wonderful. Okay, good. So, I don't know. So, That's what so I being know. the fan of uh, Murder, She Wrote, is she the greatest serial killer who ever lived? Oh, she's, she didn't kill anybody, but her being around made a lot of people die. <laughs> um, we published, well, we yeah, published so Tom her Sawyer. Party run. Well, we published Tom Sawyer and his book, Cross Purposes, which you can get now on Amazon, Cross Purposes, by Tom Sawyer. He was the producer for like the last six, five years of the show of Murder, She Wrote. He wrote a lot of, he, he wrote some episodes. He was executive producer for, I think, the last five years of the show. And he said on set they used to call Jessica Fletcher the angel of death. That was her, that's how they, that's how they refer to her. They refer to her as the angel of death. <laughs> but what was funny, too, was that even in the show Murder, She Wrote, and people who don't know this, I will just give one thing. There's a show in there called Indian Giver, and I believe it's in season five, and Seth Hazlitt was sitting there saying in that show that he rented, he rented his house, and that's why he was not upset. Even though before that they had talked about you know him being there for a while and ownership and this and that, but it didn't make a difference because it was just about that case at that time. You didn't really have to know any of the other things, and believe me, I've watched them all, and you didn't, and you didn't make a difference. I've watched, I've watched every single one probably 15 times. I could probably recite the shit so much, you know, but that's just me. But, you know, we got a minute left, and we've been ranting and raving here, but I think we had a really great discussion. Thank you. It was fun. Yeah, it was fun. So we got Revis Wortham coming up in two weeks, and then, and then we're out for a while because I'm going to Japan. So um, Revis is a great guy. You guys are going to love him, so make sure you check that out. And, Jeff, it's always a pleasure, my man. Always a pleasure. Have a great one. Absolutely, and uh, just for people going out there, Jeff and I might have a little surprise coming up in the next 12 months, so just know about that, too, So, and we have to work on that, but all right? That's true. All right, big shout-out to Matthew Dunn, MatthewDunnBooks.com. Go get the book, A Soldier's Revenge, out October 11th, and we are now out. Good night. Good evening. We'll talk to you later. later.